0: Welcome friends to another r slash pro revenge video. We've got some great stories today, including one where someone slips some real spice into their bully's food. But first, a story by Aces 2, Girls Can't Grapple. This is entirely my 11 year old daughter's revenge story. I had nothing to do with it. As you may have guessed from the title, my daughter does MMA. She just started a few months ago, but she's totally into it. Especially the jiu-jitsu aspect, she loves learning and practicing all the different grappling moves. We actually got her a few private lessons so she could learn more about it, and maybe I'm biased, but she's pretty darn good. The dojo held a grappling tournament a few weeks back, and she was one of five kids in her belt bracket. We registered her as soon as we could, and she was excited for the entire week leading up to it. She rolled in early that Saturday, ready to go. One of the other kids in her belt bracket was a boy we don't know at all. Not his name or how long he's been doing MMA. All we know is that my daughter told him that they were in the same bracket and said something along the lines of, Oh, girls can't grapple. I'm gonna win. Well, okay then. Side note of the five kids, three of them were girls. My daughter won her first two fights, then was set to battle against the boy for first place. They took their positions, bowed, and the sensei started the clock. My daughter then proceeded to whoop this boy's butt. Like, her first fight was about even, and for the second one she actually went easy on her opponent because the other girl was way outmatched. She grabbed that boy, threw him to the ground, and made him look like a puppet. She hit almost every possible hold that she could to max out her points. Only thrashed and tried, failed, to get back on top of her. She actually had him in a rear naked choke, and probably could have submitted him. Wife and I were wondering why she didn't but she let him go to switch to a different hold. Of course, she won first place, but that's not the revenge, that's the karma. The revenge is that she waited until the boy's mother was congratulating him on his second place medal, then walked up to him and said in her favorite sassy voice, So do you still think girls can't grapple? The boy's mother said, Excuse me? The daughter said, Well, that's what he said before the fight. The boy's mother said, He what? Wife and I didn't get the whole story until later. All we know is that she walked up to us with her first place medal and we noticed the boy getting a strip torn off of him by his very pissed off mother. I said, what's that all about? Daughter said, I don't know. Can we go get lunch now? She finally told us the story over Red Robin we got her a milkshake for dessert. This might be a controversial topic, but how do you guys feel about these certain classes allowing for both boys and girls to match up against each other in something such as MMA? Do you guys think it's okay if the skill levels are pretty much similar, or would you say you're of the opinion that boys and girls shouldn't be matching up in these grappling physical sports? I'd like to know what you guys think in the comments down below. Our next story is by Infinium Vortex, Director said process contracts faster and don't fuss over details. Okay, you'll lose bonus. I work with a federal contractor responsible to buy or bundle hardware, software, etc. any government organization needs and review the contract in terms of financial viability and legal clauses. In other words, ensure we make money and we're legally covered. The contracts range from 5000 to $40 million. Last year, our company went through a reorganization, i.e. fire people and give more work to people still left with the company while paying us peanuts. We're a small company with less than 200 employees and trying to retain our government customers while big companies like Amazon Cloud will replace us in less than 10 years. The government customers love working with us because this is the only thing we do and we treat the customers better than big contractors who don't care. They laid off 30 people for my team of 50, so now 20 people do the work for 50 people at the same salary. We're paid by the month and not work hours, and we don't get sales bonuses, important in the story. I have a habit of reviewing everything carefully and spending hours on each contract, even one that just makes us a few thousand dollars. Government vendor selection process is slow, and they're very risk-adverse. So, a lot of customers start at a few thousand dollars and end up in an eight or nine figure contract if everything goes well. Since people were laid off, I was struggling with the work volume, and as a result, contracts were piling up. The sales director, i.e., different team, did not like me as I was slow, and also was catching any tricks the sales team tried to play by over promising the customer or something shady. Government clients and customers loved working with me, the support I provided, and was truthful regarding our capability and our drawbacks. This was something else the director hated me for since he thought I'm tanking sales. However, almost all of my clients were repeating customers for over a decade. Example, sales wanted a school district to buy outdated Dell Windows laptops while the entire state was moving towards new, cheaper Chromebooks. Schools don't have the budget, and whatever they buy stays for 5 plus years. Sales were offloading expensive, useless stuff to get better bonuses and also charged customers nearly a million dollars to provide IT support for faults arising from ancient hardware. During my conversation with the school district, I shared examples of state governments in the Northeast buying Chromebooks and saving money while future-proofing the hardware. It was my job to get the best quote to the customer and develop trust to sign a 5 or 10 year contract. So this school district bought chromebooks which were 40% cheaper and had less than 20% of the previous quoted IT support cost. As a result, the sales team lost a few thousand dollars in bonus but we brought this customer with us for a 5 year contract. The sales director got pissed as I was working on small contracts at a slow pace and reprimanded me in front of our manager. The manager didn't care and did not defend me, and asked, why don't you follow what the sales director says and stop fussing over small contracts? I said small contracts turn into big ones, hence I should pay attention to them as well. Mistakes in small contracts could harm us if the contract becomes big. I'm struggling at work because you gave me the job of three or four people. At this point, he was shouting at me that I don't understand contracts, He's been doing this stuff for 5 years, and he makes more money in a month than I do in a year. So I should listen to him and not question him. This was a bit insulting as I live in a shared apartment, and i am struggling to make ends meet while he drives an expensive luxury car and just goes out on fancy lunches with government employees. I asked the sales director to send an email with a list of suggestions to improve my work. He rudely complied and said, Can you not even remember what I just said in the meeting? His email said, do not review contracts less than $100,000 and trust sales team that due diligence has been done. I replied by copying my manager in the email that this could create liability in the future and want him to confirm again that the sales team will do financial and legal compliance themselves for the small contracts and I need to stop revising small government contracts below $100,000 with no exceptions until told otherwise. This was gold. Instead of 2 hours, I spent 10 minutes on small contracts and voila, backlog cleared and I'm home by 6.30pm. Now a contract worth $10,000 comes through. I found some issues with this contract since it said we offer 30% rebates to our software providers. This was something we stopped doing 5 years ago and now we just offer software providers a 5-10% rebate on contracts. Also, I knew the government client recently got a massive budget and was on a spending spree, part of my job. There's a high chance that this $10,000 customer will become a $100,000,000 and the 30% rebate means we have to give $30,000,000 on top of the usual cost. But I remembered what the sales director said, why don't you follow what the sales director says and stop fussing over small contracts? So 10 minutes later I email, no issues detected based on compliance check by the sales team. As I mentioned, government contracts are slow. No one cared or raised the 30% rebate issue since it was just a $10,000 customer. 10 months later, the state government customer said they want to work with us and get at least the same terms or better terms for a new $50 million contract. This was the largest contract in our company's history. The sales director happily gave him a handshake deal that will offer the same or better terms. Government can legally just buy more on their current contract, so the sales director had no issue promising the same terms. Given contract size, everyone from legal, IT and finance gets involved to work on just one contract. For three months, everyone worked on one contract. The sales team were giddy that they'd get a million dollar bonus. I don't get a sales bonus to ensure I protect customers and the company. The finance team finishes their review and said the company is going to lose 8 million dollars and not make any money. Everyone is shocked. The sales director gave a deal without checking with us and we can't go back on something we offer. Changing contract terms is frowned upon by the government and they have legal contracts stating nothing will change. We are legally obligated to offer the government the same terms for three years. The legal team says we need to take a hit on our balance sheet and swallow the losses. The CEO called a big meeting in a fancy conference room with big TV screens and everyone had to find a scapegoat to take the blame. Every department lead, managers and people involved in this contract were summoned. The sales leader had to explain to his team why they won't get bonuses on this big contract they spent over three months. Finally, legal and finance meet and share their findings that we lost money due to the 30% rebate clause. The sales director goes crazy and blames me in front of everyone and asks me to pack my stuff in front of 30 people. Follows by saying I'm terrible at my job despite 100% customer satisfaction. I calmly opened my laptop and connected the display cable and opened Outlook while displaying on his email on three big TV screens stating that I should stop reviewing small contracts. While all 30 people read that email with a faint smile, I awaited the sales director's reaction. He goes into rage mode, claiming I misunderstood his email and am terrible at my job. Then I scroll down to where he ignored my warning regarding potential liability to the company and his response explicitly asked me to ignore that. His face turned white when he realized he screwed up. He then blabbered trying to find some other scapegoat, making racist tirades towards our IT consultants in Vietnam and just lost it. Aftermath, I was told to spend 2-3 to three hours on each contract, and the company eventually figured out that it's cheaper for them to hire 20 people like me and pay us $70,000 every year than to take big losses on their contracts. Our team had 40 members now, still less than 50, but enough to offset the contract volume. Because of the losses, the sales director had to pay back his previous year's bonus as he had a clawback clause with the company, i.e. if you screw up, you need to pay us. The sales director had to pay nearly $300,000 and was fired from his job. Present day, he then sued our company for wrongful termination and we just heard today that he lost the case and now owes us another $200,000 legal fee. Now he owes over half a million to our company. First of all, if you're enjoying these stories, make sure to hit those like and subscribe buttons down below so you never miss any of my daily uploads. That said. I understand, like, how nice it is when you can find ways to optimize processes or even, like, automate them. But if you're going to make a daring leap like that, you gotta try and consider all the circumstances and weigh the potential of that totally biting you in the butt. Honestly, like, as bad as that sales director was, maybe the company in general doomed them by just being so understaffed leading to that even happening. Our next story is by Zerafini, Old Boss Put petted. When I was in uni back in Halifax, Nova Scotia, I worked a job one summer and fall at a news cafe on Spring Garden Road, it's changed hands and rebranded since. There were two owners, one more a majority owner than the other who had successfully opened multiple locations around the province and took on a business partner for this one. The business partner was a former military man with no experience in customer service or cafes or convenience stores. When I worked with a knowledgeable owner, the shifts would be fun and fly right by. Unfortunately, most of my shifts involved having the other owner, this fat idiot, sitting around staring at customers on the customer side of the counter as they walked in, adding a weird layer of uncomfortableness to the atmosphere. On occasion, he would try and help someone, only to inevitably need my help. I normally try to help other people learn new skills, but this guy was insufferable and would remind you constantly of his boss status and act like a jerk no matter what. I worked with him so often that to feel important, he created a list of duties to be done that he felt weren't being addressed enough. They were 100% being done and posted it on the back wall with the title, OP's Duties. The other owner laughed so hard when he saw this list because there were 7 employees total Yet my name was on the list title and only my name. It probably didn't help that I was outspoken to the dumb owner and he probably couldn't take the criticism and so try to be petty towards me. Well, my own pettiness knows no bounds, so... One task he had was to make paninis. The good owner can make multiple paninis and espresso-based drinks and help customers at the counter at the same time. The dumb owner could do none of those things except maybe scan candy or a magazine and use the debit machine. No matter what I was doing at the moment, if someone needed a sandwich, he would make me stop and do the sandwich. I'm not sure if he was above making someone else food, but it was evident he didn't want to. I hired my good friend to come in and order his usual sandwich while I was working. I timed his entry so that I'd have to go to the toilet. I spent 15 minutes in there while the owner nervously kept knocking on the door, asking me to hurry up so I could make a sandwich. I explained to him how to cut bread and add toppings sarcastically through the door and eventually I got a text from my friend saying the sandwich was being made and that the owner was looking mad as all heck and super embarrassed. The whole time my friend was heckling the owner saying things like, Man, have you never made a sandwich before? It's bread and meat, come on! Nothing too horrible but enough to really rattle him. When I emerged from the bathroom, the owner was seething but didn't say a word. I walked right past him and asked him if the sandwich got made, he nodded and my friend sitting there eating it said, hey I didn't know you were in or I'd have waited, the new guy makes a crap sandwich. It may have been small pettiness but we had a good laugh about it for ages after and for a brief moment this jerk was humbled. I mean props to the friend for not only being willing to do this but coming in and playing the part so darn well, they could have just came in and asked for the sandwich and kinda stood around and waited. But no, they were fully on board with OP to just try to make this guy feel like crap and expose them. And they kept pulling the punches even after the initial duties were over. This next story is by Rekt Yoss Hit. Partnered with limited authority over management, playing from workers' dugout though. I had recently partnered with a small production facility in my area. Our contract was based on capital investment along with designing and implementing new automation processes. Two-year outlook finished in eight months was a typical small production facility comprising of 50 production workers through two shifts of 12 hours that ran two days on and then three days off. Also had two production supervisors for each shift and one maintenance supervisor for each shift. The people and their attitude is ultimately what led to my decision to be more than an outside contractor for this company until I worked the night shift for a week due to shutdowns that needed to occur to implement certain line upgrades. This is where I met him. We'll call him Richard Head. Richard seemed like a nice guy in our first few encounters, and then I heard him in his element directing his maintenance crew at night over the radio. He would belittle this group of guys who were there to do a set task list every night for whatever machinery they were doing preventative maintenance on. Unless something broke on the line, which would require attention first obviously. I've never heard grown men spoken to like this and never heard any nasty remarks back or defending themselves. He would call them stupid on the radio if they were having trouble troubleshooting a problem, call some fat and lazy, called one black guy the n-word. The guy had been there since they opened the doors and to be honest, made me want to rescind any commitment I've ever made to this company. When I escalated this up to the plant manager, he assured me that it was friendly banter and they rarely had complaints against him. True, because anyone who ever did so in confidence of anonymity was always outed, and then singled out until they were terminated by him. Since no one was going to listen to me, I decided to do my due diligence and started to document everything I heard on the radio, with a date and time, witness to the treatment, and what rights the individual was having violated due to our state and federal outlines. I made this spreadsheet my entire time in the shift, documenting every personal account I witnessed as well. Harassment is a major problem with industry work, but the one I've learned is the company killer is retaliation. If you can prove that, then they stand no chance. I saw him one night tearing down this 50-year-old man who requested two days off to the point that I wanted to lose my cool, but knew it would ruin all the information I was gathering. The days off were because his nephew was just in a car accident two days prior and had to have multiple reconstructive surgeries scheduled. I knew that now was the time to move on everything. I rounded up all the maintenance guys and shared all my documentation with them. They didn't realize the importance of this information like I had. They just said nothing will change. Nothing changed because no one treats an issue as an issue if you come with incorrect, non-detailed information. The fact that he used the radio so much was a godsend that they didn't see as well. When he spoke this way to people, he must not have ever realized that there were other supervisors on shift and that they in fact unintentionally became the strongest witness in the cases, especially when you have some audio recordings verifying the accounts. They have no choice but to acknowledge what they've heard. Each worker took their logs and even though I have a capital and time investment in this facility, I urge them at a minimum to petition to have this man removed or to threaten legal action. Once they coordinated a day to expose all this, it was like watching a sports movie when the underdogs take the championship and get the girl at the same time. Not only did the man finally get fired, but the entire atmosphere around the place changed more than I could imagine. Older machines ran the best they've ever ran in my time there and people loved coming to work again. They also put a placard on my door for when I came in about a week later. It said, number one boss, but the boss was crossed out, and hand engraved under it was the word, bad, you know. I obviously removed it from my door, but I put it in my home office, and it's probably the best thing I've ever received from a facility. Just imagine working there, and being one of those guys that feels like it's totally helpless. That, like, this guy seems like they've got a stranglehold on this position, and they're not gonna let it up. And then finally, OP comes swooping in like this pure angel and documents everything and organizes it and literally hands everybody all the ammunition they need to just totally sink this guy. It's just disappointing to hear about how this cancerous guy was able to stick around for so long. Our next story is by Davidson C25. I'll only be a minute. I went out to run some errands and found my driveway was blocked by a package delivery truck. I asked the driver to please move. He said he would be just a minute, picked up a box and took it to my neighbor's house. Apparently it required a signature because he knocked and waited for her to open the door. They had a brief conversation. When he returned to his truck, instead of just driving away, he puttered around in the back. Then with a friendly wave, he drove off. My last stop for the day was to mail a package. Our post office is very small. The parking lot has only two slots and the way it's laid out, there's barely enough room for the small mail trucks to squeeze past and back into the loading dock. When I got there, guess who was at the dock? My old friend, the package delivery guy. Both parking spaces were empty, but I chose to park in the handicap slot which is nearest the loading dock. I hung my placard from the mirror and got out. I went inside and gave my package to the clerk. That was when the driver came in and asked who owned the car in the handicap spot. He said i was blocking him in i said that i would just be a minute i asked the clerk to explain to me the difference between certified and registered mail then i asked her to help me fill out the return receipt form i also needed some first class stamps so i asked her to show me what commemorative editions were available there were so many choices but i eventually narrowed it down to yogi Berra or star wars droids i went with yogi She totaled up my charges, but I kept putting my credit card in the wrong way. I eventually figured it out, completed my purchase, carefully reviewed my receipt and went outside, closely followed by the package delivery guy. I got in my car, started it up, waited for my phone to sync, put on my seatbelt, adjusted my mirror, removed the handicap placard and returned it to the glove box. Then I put the car in gear. Gave him a friendly wave and drive away. This was definitely a very petty revenge to do, but like, if somebody's going to pull that stunt on you and then also sit around and kind of tool around and take their own sweet time just getting out of your way, it does really make you want to just give a case of it back to them in, in return. Our next story is by Mountain Goat 5 Don't threaten me with copyright infringement. A few years ago, I belonged to an organization that was similar in theory to a timeshare. I felt like they were doing some shady stuff and wanted to talk to other members. The company did their best to prevent that, so I started a Facebook group called Unofficial Organization Chat. I quickly got a couple hundred people in and we were uncovering all kinds of corruption within the organization including board members skimming a lot of money off us members. We're talking almost a million dollars in mismanaged funds. They were big mad that they were being exposed and blamed me. I got a formal notice that I couldn't use their name for my group because they'd copyrighted the name. I did a little digging, and guess who had forgotten to renew their copyright license? I got a lawyer to help me buy the copyright that very day. They were connected with the group and did it pro bono. I just had to pay for the copyright license, around 50 bucks. They tried to threaten me again with a lawsuit over use of that name. I kindly suggested they go check to see who owned the right to that name. Silence. They ended up going out of business a couple of years later, but not before they tried rebranding themselves with a new name. I still maintain the copyright because it amuses me. I think OP means trademark and yeah, you have to maintain your trademark, you can't just let it slip. It's definitely not something that you're able to just set and forget. This next story is by IBS2PID. It might have cost me 32 bucks, but it was worth it. So I'm a bartender, and in the town I lived in at the time, the best time to go to the 24-hour Walmart was after my shift was over, around 4am. I could walk in and out, and never talk to anyone and get done quick. I have my card with five or so items in it, and these two guys walk up to me, dressed to the nines and ask for some help. Now I know these two guys, they don't know me, but they're known all over town to be scammers and have been kicked out of almost every bar in town. The one guy asks, yo bro, can you help me out? I just dropped my girlfriend off from the hospital and we just had a baby. I just need some diapers and I don't get paid until Friday. It's Tuesday, can you help me out? Now again, I have personally banned these two from the bar I work at for stealing drinks off tables. They're well known. Even though I know the scam they're running, I say, Sure, let's go. And off to the baby section we go. Now, the scam they're running is, they get a person to buy a semi-expensive box of diapers, and, when that person leaves, exchange the diapers for the cash. Now, we get to the baby section, and he grabs a mid-range pack of diapers. I had a good night behind the bar, so I say, Hey man, go ahead and grab that big pack up top, the $32 box. It's the least I can do for you. I got two of my own and it's tough right now. And his eyes light the freak up. He grabs them and him and his buddy are super excited as we walk towards the tills. Now here's where I get the revenge. He starts walking towards the one open lane. But I swerve towards the self-checkout and he doesn't like that at all. He keeps trying to get me to go to the regular checkout lane so he can get his receipt. This is key. So I ring the diapers, and he says thanks, and to his dismay, ring in a Blu-ray into it, and here's where I get him, I add that stupid $2 protection. I stop and say, darn, I forgot to get dog food, which I did actually need, but here you go, and I pay with a card. You can't get a cash refund for a credit card receipt. Now he's screwed. He still asks for the receipt, but I say, "Ah, oh man, I can't. I gotta keep it for the protection I bought. I need the code. And say, But you guys go ahead. Good luck with the new little one. And walk off, handing them their giant pack of diapers. I spend the next 30 minutes just walking around, watching them try to beg the couple of cashiers for a refund for the pack of diapers. It's 4.30am, customer service isn't open. They need that receipt and they just don't have it. I see them leave, and I check out, and the one lady standing by the self-checkout says, You know, they were just scamming you. The minute you left, they try to get the money for those. They do that all the time. I replied, Oh, I know. They're scammers. They're known all over downtown. That's why I added coverage to the DVD, and I paid with a card. I had an out for giving them the receipt, and now they have to leave with the diapers. She had a good laugh over that. I'm driving out of the parking lot and I see these two dudes walking down the road at 4.30 in the morning, looking like they just left the club with a giant pack of huggies. I honked and waved as I went by. OP even added in a bonus where, later on, because of the substances they're doing, they walked up to OP and asked them for some help, not knowing they already tried to scam OP before, and OP was like, oh, do you want more diapers? The scammers go, oh, uh, thanks anyway, and walk off. And our final story of the day is by Bella Cat, Muffin for the Bullies. This happened back in 8th grade. In our education system, we don't have middle school. Elementary lasts from 1st to 8th grade, and you're locked up with the same class for these 8 years. I'm pretty introverted and had a lot of trauma going on back around 3rd grade, so naturally most people started bullying me, and for years I stayed silent, earning the quiet kid title. In 8th grade, we had this Halloween party where everyone brought in snacks and stuff, and I might not have a lot of skills, but I can bake really good muffins. So preparing for the party, I baked a big bunch of delicious chocolate-filled muffins. Well, when I say chocolate-filled, I mean most of them. There were two specific muffins that had a bit of a surprise in them. They were colored red with food coloring, and there were skulls drawn on them with chocolate sauce. They didn't stand out too much, since all of the muffins were colored and decorated somehow. Anyways, these two were not filled with chocolate. Instead, there were two whole chili peppers baked into them. And of course, these were the ones I gave to my two biggest bullies. As they bit into them, their eyes grew twice their size. They threw a coughing fit and ran out to the toilets, coming back five minutes later with their faces red and flushed. And I just sat there quietly with a sweet little smile. Well, I just hope for OP's sake that this spicy revenge was a catalyst in maybe making them stop bullying so much and not being a catalyst for them to do even more bullying. But with that being said, that's all the time we have for today. So of all these stories I've read today, which is your favorite and why? Let me know in the comments down below. And if you haven't yet, if you could like and subscribe, that would mean a lot to me.